1: This is why Bloodstream Media produces podcasts, blogs, and other forms of content for patients, families, and clinicians impacted by rare and chronic diseases. Visit bloodstreammedia.com to learn more.
0: Hello there. I'm so happy you've joined me today. Thanks for listening. This is Once Upon a Gene, and I'm your host, Effie Parks. You would have had to have been in the trenches lately if you haven't heard of my next guest. Him, his wife Ramya, and their son Rigav are such beautiful and courageous people. Ragov's a two year old boy who is one of nine kids worldwide with an ultra rare genetic disease called SSMD. They also have a podcast called Raising Rare, where they talk about their journey in finding a treatment for their son. The podcast also features stories from others in the rare disease community, clinicians, researchers, industry leaders, all the stuff. So make sure and subscribe to that show to learn more about their journey. We're not gonna go into too much of that today though, we're talking about his brand new software platform called Open Treatments. It's a nonprofit organization with a mission to enable treatments for all genetic diseases, regardless of rarity or geography. Please enjoy my conversation with Sanath Kumar Ramesh. Hi, Sanath, Welcome to the show. I'm so happy to chat with you again.
1: Thank you so much for having me here. The whole show is always feels like a community of people that i'm I'm talking to all the time in a single room, although, you know, I've never met <laughs> I've never even met you in person.
0: Totally. I met Ramya in a Facebook group, actually, because you guys lived here in my in my town in Seattle up until a couple weeks ago. And that's how I found out about you guys. And I just you immediately felt like family to me. So I've also tried to have her on the show, but we had some distorted audio. So I need to get her back on there. But I digress. Anyways, Sanath, can you give us some background and tell us about your family and little Raghav?
1: yeah so i have uh, this adorable two and a half year old boy raghav he was born with a lot of challenges he did not have the energy to move his hand legs uh, eat anything by mouth you know for the first year of birth we had no clue what we were dealing with uh, but we always kept telling to ourselves you know raga will be fine you know he'll be back on on course pretty soon and you know week after week he kept diverging from the normal developmental milestones and on his first birthdays when we realized that he uh, has an ultra ultra rare genetic condition this is caused by a mutation in a gene called uh, gpx4 there is a lot of literature about the gene itself it's been you know quite well studied for the last couple of decades but The disease has no literature whatsoever. So when Raghav was diagnosed, we thought he was the only person in the world with this condition. And since then, um, since about a year and a half, we've only found eight more patients and uh, to a a total of nine patients worldwide with this disease. So he's a pretty unique person and, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's fun in his own ways.
0: Raghav is so cute. Everybody, go and follow them on Facebook. They have an amazing community that they've created, and he's just such a smiley, happy little boy. And I can't believe he's only two. I thought he was older than that for some reason in my head. He
1: is going to be three in August, so you know, in a couple of months he's going to be three. And I can't, I can't believe it's been three years since (laughs) Rago was born. I, you know, I almost remember every single day, pretty much, since he was born, and nothing is a blur at all, which is which is opposite of what (laughs) usually life is.
0: Yeah, that's really true. I think when you have to like live in the moment completely that you do sort of kind of catch these memories a little closer than perhaps you would. So I understand that. Okay, so you found other patients. Are they because they have been recently diagnosed or is it because you've been searching and doing the homework?
1: Actually, neither. I decided to not find other patients with this disease because I, one, did not know how to fix Raghav and two... If I found other patients, I feel more moral responsibility to help them and I don't I didn't have anything to honestly help them at all. Um, so I, I I said, you know, let's go find a solution for Raghav's problems, let's find a treatment for him. And then, you know, in parallel, let's invest time in, in finding other patients so we can hand over the treatments to them as, soon as and when we find them. It turns out that that's a poor strategy, and obviously we didn't that's partly why we have not found a lot of patients with this disease. And the others that I've found have all been through serendipitous connections. A couple of them were common, uh, were actually known to one of the researchers working on uh, this uh, gene. Another researcher working on this gene in Japan identified a cohort of a bunch of patients with this mutation, and they're planning on writing a paper, although I've actually never connected with these families in person I know they they exist, and that is how I've gotten to the number of nine patients worldwide. But in terms of the the people that I'm in contact with, I uh, am in contact with only three other patients, actually four other patients.
0: Well, it's astounding how much progress you and Ramya have made so far, especially in fundraising, I know. But talk about the power couple on a hunt for a cure. You've recently launched a very exciting and disruptive software company that's breaking the mold. So can you tell us about your new venture called Open Treatments?
1: Absolutely. You know, my my path to getting a treatment for Raga, we spent a lot of time focusing on drug repurposing, uh, because we knew that time was of essence for him. Um, we had to get a drug very quickly. And the normal biotech development process of, you know, 8 to 10 years, and uh, I, I don't know, several hundred millions of dollars is not going to work for us. So, we started down this road of identifying existing FDA-approved drugs. Uh, these are the drugs that you can go buy at uh, a CVS or Walgreens pharmacy. And uh, we wanted to see which of these drugs uh, would work in dragav So, we identified a cocktail of five different drugs um, that dragav is currently on, Unfortunately, this cocktail has not shown the quality of life improvements that we would love to see on him. You know, he still has almost all of the challenges that he's had since birth, and none of them have reduced even a tiny bit with the, with the help of these drugs. I'm positive that the drugs are doing something good on him, probably helping him, you know, fight off a cold a little better than otherwise. But I haven't seen him, um, you know, move his hands better, you know, hold his head up better or stand better or sit better or eat better, right? And so my my quest turned towards gene therapy as a more longer-term treatment for him. And the idea is pretty simple. Um, You have a gene that has a mutation that has a fault in it. And so you replace the faulty gene with a good one um, in the body and call it good. You know, while the idea is quite simple, the implementation is incredibly complex. It takes five to seven million dollars to build a gene therapy treatment. It would roughly take about three years starting from scratch to to have one that is successful or uh, reasonably successful. And along the way, you have to be a well-established biotech company with the right people, the right investments all the right connections and and you just cannot be one parent trying to push this forward. So I started speaking to other patient foundations on their gene therapy development journey uh, and a consistent pattern emerged among all of these. Uh, The folks that have a program currently in the clinic or have dosed a few patients told me that they went through, you know, a lot of churn along the way. They probably burned through, you know, 500,000 to a million dollars of of rework simply because they didn't make the right right choices or decisions up front. And the folks that have, you know, that gotten a lot, lot farther but never gotten a, 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 a patient given uh, this treatment have told me that uh, this process is one that, you know, just cannot navigate on your own you will make mistakes you will you can go incredibly fast initially but the the later stages are the ones that will teach you a lot of lessons you would realize you've made mistakes in the first step of the of the process and you have to work backwards again and re rework redo a lot of the work that you've done before so this gave me A big pause and I I stopped working on Raghav's gene therapy altogether for about a couple of months because I I, I said that this is incredibly risky and I am not willing to bet my son's life um, and my family's time and uh, and happiness on uh, an experimental therapy that I'm probably going to fail building it. And so, marinating all of this information, I started asking the question: Well, you know, someone has to help us get to treatments, right? And it cannot be that complex because there are a lot of biotech companies that are that are out there building gene therapies for a little bit more common diseases. And so, my idea was to bring in the knowledge and experience from biotech companies, from academic researchers, from just the broader industry, um, and help patient foundations build and run their gene therapies. With my background in software development development. I decided to build a software platform because it can scale a lot better. It's more dynamic and you can do a lot of cool things that you cannot do with, with just a text and a piece of paper. So that, that's sort of the genesis of Open Treatments Foundation. We launched this in March this year, or end of March this year. We are starting with a pilot program of four different diseases to understand you know, how well the software platform is working, understand the, the challenges that, e- that each of the programs are facing as they navigate their therapy development. And then the bottom line is, uh, we will continue to expand to add more technologies. Uh, we are just talking about adding uh, potentially adding ASOs uh, or antisense oligonucleotides as another therapeutic option um, in the open treatments platform. We will potentially expand to drug repurposing as well, because that's pretty much what I have been doing personally, and uh, and a lot of almost every rare disease family has been aspiring to do, and so on. So our north star is, our mission is actually pretty broad. You know, we want to get build treatments to every single patient out there irrespective of rarity and of the disease and geography and where they live. But to get there, we, you know, we're starting with this platform where we eventually need to bring in a lot of foundations, a lot of companies, academic institutions, everybody together and aligned and focused in a very specific direction.
0: Okay. So obviously a huge hurdle for doing any of this families, patient organizations is raising the money, right? Even for drug repurposing, that's expensive. Maybe not, I mean, not even close to as expensive as gene therapy. So what Open Treatments is doing, if I understood that correctly, is you're basically gathering all the brilliant people from all corners that these patient advocacy groups or parent groups are going to need to contact or work with to push their mission forward. So you're going to kind of create like a a little market for all the people who are going to be able to answer their questions and help them move in whatever direction they need to go in without them having to waste time and money.
1: That's correct. So that's the in that's the people part of it. There's two other components of open treatments, which is the roadmap that is mastered in the software platform. So the, the software platform gives you a project management interface with the gene therapy roadmap built in. Um, and it also tells you the approximate time and money each step would cost. So you, you can essentially budget out um, all of your therapy development process end-to-end uh, through the platform. And the third aspect is the infrastructure. So you you can have a lot of advice from people, but at the end of the day, someone needs to get to the bench uh, and do, do the actual experiments. Um, and for that, you need to connect with either academic research institutions or contract research organizations, but there's a whole host of people that you can, a whole host of companies that you can work with for the infrastructure part. So from the open treatment standpoint, we, we provide people with both, all the three, so roadmap, people and infrastructure. We don't yet have any mechanisms of providing people with funding directly. Um, that's in plans, but my focus is making sure that this platform can work for patient foundations before we go ask, say, a Chan Zuckerberg Institute or the Bill Gates Foundation or the NIH for money to to invest directly on patient foundations research.
0: So how did you choose the guinea pig group, if you will?
1: Most of them are are my friends. (laughs) There's (laughs) no, uh, you know, I asked them, hey, do you want to be the guinea pigs? And they they said, yes. So one of them is... uh, is obviously my son's uh, foundation as well, which is separate from open treatments and the gene therapy that we're building here. Three other foundations, uh, one focusing on cleve stress syndrome, which is a form of intellectual disability. And another one is focusing on INAD, uh, which is another pediatric disease. And the third one is focusing on congenital muscular dystrophies.
0: There's a wait list on the website, by the way, for anyone listening. So <laughs> go get on it. Okay. So I know I get I get so many emails, Sanath, and I'm sure you do, too, of, you know, someone hearing a story or hearing something from a parent or a patient group that has just lit a fire under them and has just made them feel empowered to get in the game somehow and uh, get in the fight. What are the checklists that parents or patient groups need to kind of check off their list? Before they can head the directions of working with open treatments in the future. Is this something just here's your diagnosis go find Sanath or do you have to have a bunch of things in place and organized and understanding to be able to kind of move this way.
1: Yeah that's a good question. You know when we built open treatments we thought a lot about who the who the target audience is and i debated a lot a lot, lot about um you know whether we should bring in found parents that just have gotten a diagnosis and you know after talking to people especially parents i realized that there's a lot of risk in the drug development process and the amount of risk that you that you take on when you embark on a drug development journey is like nothing that we all have done in our lives. It's one of the most riskiest investments on planet, and even you know wealthy venture capitalists uh, don't invest in drug development because t- you're not going to get returns um, fairly quickly, and and it's, you have a high risk of losing your money. So parents that just gotten a diagnosis are already struggling to understand what life is life has in store for them, and having them take over drug development did not seem uh, like the right thing to do for us. So we started found focusing on patient foundations or groups that have had a, a foundation started that have raised some money um, that have a scientific advisory board and the hope is that at this point you probably would have figured out that this is no cakewalk um, and it, it requires a lot of grit and determination and um, and an acceptance of the risk that you are taking on and so we we hand select foundations that are that are in that stage, that have a roadmap, that have decided that hey, gene therapy is the way to go for me, that I'm going to I'm planning on investing in gene therapy right away, um, and so these are the foundations that we we currently take on. So if you have if you are a parent that just got a diagnosis, I would say find a foundation for the disease that your your son or daughter have has. Um and go work with them. And, and potentially, they might be a good candidate to work with open treatments. And if, if there if none uh, such foundations exist, then you could potentially think about starting a foundation. Um, and that's a whole, um, you know, different ballgame.
0: That makes sense. There's a lot going on in the beginning anyways. And you probably have to come and get a seat at this table with a with a lot of homework in hand, for sure. I understand that. So I know your hopes are for gathering those non-existent organizations though, right? Like those those families who have one or two patients and who like maybe live in some area of the world where they just don't have access to this stuff in general. So that's your hope for the future, right? That you're going to be able to gather all of these rare diseases that ne- don't necessarily have the scaffolding behind them to be able to join open treatments?
1: Eventually. I don't know how, how that will happen uh, or even how that will happen, but that's the eventual goal there's also this dichotomy that that keeps you know coming back to me in my head is it even practical in the future to ask parents to you know go find treatments for diseases that, they, that their loved ones are facing right you know as a society as humanity I think we have a we have a modeled responsibility to parents like us uh, that have kids with rare disease but not ask them to go find a treatment for their own conditions and so my eventual goal along the way is to get more people into drug development and the starting point is to get more parents into drug development, uh, but it might very well end up changing form and changing course into getting more PhD students or getting more postdocs into drug development, right? Especially if drug development for rare and ultra rare diseases. I think if if we if we take people that have the means, that have the um, uh, scientific understanding and, and and the education and give them some training and some tools, maybe they would be better off helping uh, build treatments for, for folks like us who have kids with with rare diseases um, and not have parents jump on this all the time. I I don't think it's sustainable eventually to actually have parents do drug development. That
0: makes sense. Building the army, you're just going to start recruiting (laughs) people into their futures. I love it. Well, I know that you have like the best of the best behind you at open treatments and deservedly so. And I wonder, I know biotech and pharma have not necessarily ever been interested in doing certain things with gene therapies and our our rare diseases because they don't make money off of them. But I think with what you're building and the kind of team that you've created, do you feel like in the future, perhaps you're going to gain interest for them? Maybe they'll lose some reluctancy to get involved in this mission? What do you think about that? It's a
1: challenging problem. I think the bottom line is risk. So you know, the, the reason why biotech or pharma is not interested in rare diseases like uh, my son's, which is like nine patients worldwide, is that irrespective of the number of patients in a disease, the risk you take on when you treat a patient when any potentially adverse reactions could happen to them is, is just the same. Right? And you could, you could be treating diabetic patients, you could be treating SMA patients, you could, or you could be treating my son. Um, and, and the risk of something wrong happening is almost the same because it's all unknown unknowns. No one can really predict that risk in the first place. And so for a biopharma industry, the, the decision becomes, well, is the risk worth the benefit? And the question is, what is the benefit uh, when treating nine patients? unfortunately there is no commercial benefit in treating nine patients but when you go treat a disease that has a um, hundred thousand patients oh yeah then you have a big commercial upside uh, and so it's probably worth the risk to take on such a disease so i don't know what path for uh, such small diseases are going to be in the future so the nf1 the ultra rare diseases need an alternative path um, and you know uh, uh, several ideas have been you know are being thrown around one you know getting more regulations, um, regulatory support for NF1 diseases. So uh, there's probably, there will probably be some sort of a voucher or reimbursement if you go build a treatment for these uh, market failure conditions. Um, that's option number one. Uh, another idea is collecting all of these NF1 or, or ultra rare diseases into one company and building a treatment for all of them together. So you are leveraging um, the economies of scale that come in when, when you go build treatments for a bunch of conditions. Another the idea is to ask um, insurance providers to pay for the research and development because at the end of the day, you know, these kids spend uh, upwards of millions of dollars through their lifetime and insurance is, is essentially paying for them. Um, and so if they can reinvest a portion of that work into drug development, perhaps, you know, you could lower the cost and the burden on insurance companies. And so there are a lot of these ideas around um, making ultra-rare drug development sustainable. I I don't know what is going to win, but I I do know that we need to bring more people into drug development so many of these ideas can be tried and tested and and either the the best ones would win.
0: Yeah, I like those ideas. And now is the time, right? (laughs) Like It is. It's time to have those conversations. Science is moving. Everything is, I mean, it's blazing right now. And I think that it's just time to break the status quo with rare disease non-existent treatments and cures and all of the things
1: yeah especially with covid like after covid i think the the, the, the several changes happened one obviously everybody became a patient or at least had had the fear of becoming a patient at the first place right and you see you see people around you suffering and dying and that's a, that's a normal day for us as rare disease parents but now people really understand um the plight that we all go through so there's there's a lot more sympathy around um you know, investing in healthcare and biotech. And second, I think the, the big thing is is uh, telehealth. Um, telehealth has been a huge boon for us because we don't have to go into the hospital and catch bugs. We could um, stay at home and get pretty much the same quality of therapy and service that we would get otherwise. Um, and I think telehealth is going to change the way rare diseases. Are approached because previously you would have, say, a center of excellence in, in, in UPenn, and you always have to go to UPenn to really get a diagnosis. Otherwise, folks in a remote part of Nebraska would never get a diagnosis, for example. Now, with telehealth, these people can talk to the providers at UPenn sitting at home, just turning on Zoom, right? And suddenly you have access to more providers. Uh, you potentially will get more people diagnosed, which will also push uh, more urgency from you know payers and regulators and the biotech company to go find a treatment for all of us. So now is the best time to have these conversations.
0: Totally. COVID definitely brought everyone to the same level, but especially raised our eyebrows, everyone's eyebrows to the possibilities, right? Which is very exciting. So how about since March, Sanath? what's been happening? What's so exciting? What snags have you run into or what are you most looking forward to?
1: Since March, I think the 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 best thing that happened was a lot of press and publicity around Open Treatments launch. Honestly, I, I did not expect any of that, but I'm I'm glad it happened because it's it's getting us the the visibility and the and and getting us a center stage into a lot of conversations that uh, we would never never be a part of otherwise. Um and uh, that essentially is opening up doors for new collaborations. so um, as i said we're starting to focus on asos as well to add to the platform i'm also thinking of starting a a podcast series Shh, don't mention it no i'm, I'm just kidding um I, I this this idea has been floating around in my head for a while that you know i need to go learn from experts um, on how how drug development actually works um, and there's different parts of the drug development pipeline that i'd love to love to pick someone's brain on and when i pick someone's brain might as well record them and Publish them on on uh, online, and so that's another idea that's been tying around in my head. Third idea is is thinking about and writing about alternate potential alternate business models in drug development that a prospective drug developer could uh, could look at and explore and build upon and and, and go do uh, implement it themselves uh, because at the end of the day i think um, our our focus is to bring more people into drug development um, and as much as the tools and uh, and thought process and and learning materials that we could provide to them um, i think we we would do them a, a good justice so those are the, those are a few kind of um, offshoot things that i'm i'm thinking about nothing is in the works uh, but I think the most concrete thing that will be in the works pretty soon is uh, is adding ASO to open treatments platform and op- giving getting the opportunity to open up the platform to a lot more patient foundations.
0: Yes, that's so exciting and congratulations on all of your press. I mean, you deserved it. Raghav is almost three years old and look what you've been able to accomplish already. It's, it's astounding and you're so well respected and you're so smart and you've you're thinking out of the box always, which is really, really cool. So
1: Sometimes I try to find where the boxes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I don't doubt it. Like your brain is on the other side of the room from my brain and we are totally different people, but I love it. I love the way your brain works. And yeah, I think the podcast is an excellent idea. We can find bits and pieces of those types of interviews sprinkled throughout all of our rare disease podcasts. But if there was a home base for that, that would be incredible and such a valuable resource. So add that to your uh, to-do list, please.
1: I, I just need to find another piece of paper to add <laughs> to my to-do list. It's it's always growing longer, but that's just how, how life is for all of us. So I'm not going to complain.
0: I'll send you a new notebook. You can fill it up. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Well, you can find Sinoff's podcast that he does right now, which is very cool, called Raising Rare. They go through the journey of raising Raghav and uh, beyond. They interview other people in the rare disease community and they talk about the process of just everything that he's doing. So definitely check it out. It's a great podcast and opentreatments.org. Go check it out. Get on the waiting list for now. You never know, right? That's right. And perfect. What else did I miss on, on there, Sanath, in your...
1: QRGPX4.org. That's 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 all my um, journey with Raghav and, and all the scientific development around finding a treatment for him. Yes.
0: Awesome. Okay. Is there anything else you'd like to leave with our listener that perhaps I didn't ask you or that you'd like to just mention?
1: I would just say there are new ideas that, that you would love to explore around... Um, you know, rare disease drug development. Just just email me, and I'd love to talk and learn more. Um, and in in general, like I'm I'm super curious about about what others are doing uh, that are that is cool and and different and radical. So if you're doing any of that reach out to me.
0: Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today, Sanaf. I think you're amazing and your family is just beautiful and you're really making a difference. So I appreciate you being my guest today. Thank
1: you so much for having me here. You have an amazing podcast and I've I've always enjoyed every time listening to you. I've, I've been a little little jealous of listening to you as well because you speak so well and your podcast is just so well put together. So I, I will continue to listen to that.
0: Thank you, Sanaf. That's very kind of you. I hope you've been enjoying this podcast.
1: Mm <laughs> <laughs>